Well, welcome again to Artisan Church. We invite you to stick around afterwards. There's, uh, we just brought out some goodies, some breads, and some nice things to hang out afterwards and enjoy with each other. So we encourage you to continue the conversation and getting to know one another uh, after the service as well. We are starting a new series today. It is called Text Messages. Uh, we've got a great lineup of a bunch of different messages that... I think really hit on some things that we struggle with, whether you are a Christ follower or you are just asking questions about the faith. These, I think these topics will, will probably hit on some of the questions that you have. Today's message is OMG, oh my God, and we're going to talk about prayer and experiencing God through prayer. And as I was thinking about prayer, I couldn't help but think about uh, one occasion where I prayed till nearly blood was sweating off my brow. It was twas the night before I proposed. <laughs> and all was quiet in the house. And I had, for the proposal, gone throughout the city of Rochester and put little clues in all the places that when Beck and I were dating, we, I put little clues all throughout the, the, the city of Rochester and those clues would lead her around and eventually lead us to the place that uh, the ring would be. And uh, I stole her frog, a little pet frog for this and everything. It's, it's a great story. You'll have to ask Rebecca about it sometime. Uh, she can tell you all about it. But there was one clue that I hadn't placed out yet. And this was a pretty vital clue because it had movie tickets in it. And this clue led to the next clue, which led to the next clue, which led to the finale. Without this clue, I wasn't going to be engaged the next day. And so I finished putting out all the other clues. I went to get this last clue to drive it over to Cobbs Hill Park and stick it under a bench there in the park, and I couldn't find it. It was about 7 o'clock at night. And I started freaking out because that was a big-time clue. I mean, it had the tickets in it. There was, there was really no way uh, back 10 years ago before the whole interweb thing exploded, you couldn't really get tickets online to replace the thing that I, I had uh, already purchased ahead of time. Um, so, oh, by the way, I didn't know anything about any of these clues. I, I, I was, I was uh, an, not an accomplice in this whole frog-stealing thing, so I, did, I was not supposed to know about this. So I couldn't really tell back, oh, we were supposed to have movie tickets and it didn't work out because that would ruin everything. So I got on my knees, went back to my apartment, got on my knees, started praying 7 o'clock at night, stayed on my knees until midnight when finally, as I'm sitting there, this voice speaks to my, my mind, my heart and says, it's in your bag. And I, I swear to you, I know I checked my bag before. I know I did. At least I think I did. And so sure enough, I went out and looked in my bag, and there was the final clue, and I was able to put it out underneath the bench. And, and we were married, and we have two wonderful children. We just celebrated 10 years of marriage. So it all worked out, and God answered prayer. And I think... A lot of us probably have experiences that we can point to and say, these are experiences in our lives where God answered my prayer. And there might be some of us that have had experiences in our lives where we've prayed and nothing seemed to happen. 
So what's going on there? Does prayer really work? And interestingly enough, not only from a, a spiritual side of things, but from a secular side of things, I actually found a report in the March 2007 issue, uh, the Journal of Research on Social Work, uh, David R. Hodge, an assistant professor at the College of Human Services at Arizona State University, not making this up, this is real, conducted a comprehensive analysis of 17 major studies on the effects of intercessory prayer. And what did David find? That when the effects of prayer are averaged across all 17 studies, controlling for differences in sample sizes, all of you that are number crunches, crunchers, you, you, this is important to you, um, a net positive effect for the prayer group was produced. So prayer does have a positive effect. Prayer changes things. And so we're left with a question, when we pray, what does God answer? How does God answer our prayer? And I'd like to say to you, suggest to you today that God answers prayer with three answers, three ways God answers prayer. If you'd like to take notes, I invite you to write these things down. Some of the scriptures that we're going to be going through today, they'll be up on the screen, and I invite you to look them up in your Bibles that are either on your chairs or under your chairs there. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to, to take the Bible that's there under your chair or on it and bring that home. That is now your Bible, and we encourage you to start reading it. Just get familiar with the Bible. Um, we're going to be in several different passages throughout the scripture uh, today. Some will be on the screen. Other ones I'm going to encourage you to write down the, the verse, chapter and verse, and go look at at home uh, and encourage you to get into God's word and really look at prayer this week. So three ways God answers prayer. Write these down. Check these out. God says yes. God says no. Or God says not right now or wait. Yes, no, or not right now. So scripturally speaking, where do we see God saying yes? And I think probably all of us could look into scripture, those of us that are familiar with the Bible, and come up with different places that, that God has said yes to prayer. One of the places that I, I really appreciate is in the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Genesis, and it's found with Abraham and his wife's maidservant, Hagar. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open them up to Genesis 21. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, so just flip right open to that. In chapter 21, verses 16 and 19 of Genesis 21, we see Hagar and Ishmael, who Abram has been promised a son, and that isn't happening and so he kind of takes matters into his own hands. Sarah says, take my, my handmaiden, Hagar, go into her, raise up a child through her. This is not God's plan. This is Hagar and Sarah's plan. Or I'm sorry, uh, Abram and Sarah's plan. And so they have a child. The child's name is Ishmael. Beautiful word in the Greek. Comes from the uh, Greek, the Hebrew. The Hebrew word Shema, which you may have heard before, which means hear and El, God. So God hears. God hears the prayer of Abram, and they have a son by the name of Ishmael. Well, this starts to become a problem later on when Sarah and Abraham have a child of their own. 
And Sarah gets a little bit jealous and says, I want that woman and her child out. They kick her out and they go into the wilderness. And here we are in chapter 21 of Genesis, verse 16. They're out in the desert, basically dying of thirst. And we pick it up. And then, then Hagar went and sat down opposite Ishmael, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, do not let me look on the death of the child. And then it goes on to talk about how the child begins to cry and groan out to God. And then in verse 19, it says, Then God opened her eyes, that's Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. So Hagar and Ishmael pray to God, save us, and God says yes, and opens Hagar's eyes, and she sees a well and goes, and they get water, and they are saved. So they prayed, and God said Yes. There's other parts of Scripture where they, there is a prayer and God says no. This is one of the Scriptures that I find very comforting in my own walk. You could maybe a little bit disturbing at the same time, but there are issues in my life where I've prayed to God, and maybe you've experienced this, that you've prayed and said, God, change this in my life. God, take this away from me. And God says no. And I think if you've ever experienced that, it's, it's biblical. If Paul experiences that. I invite you to flip over the New Testament to 2 Corinthians. Um, if you're not sure where that is, there's a table of contents in the front of your Bible. Don't be afraid to use that. That shows you where things are. That's why it's there. So 2 Corinthians uh, in the New Testament, Paul is writing a letter to the, this church at Corinth. And in verse 8 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, Three times I appealed to the Lord about this. This being, he has this thorn in the flesh. We're not real sure what it is. Some scholars say it was his eyes, that he had some kind of eye disease, and, and he was going blind, or, or they were really uh, infected, and not really sure what's going on there. Others believe it was something completely different, that there was some kind of spiritual barb that he has going on in his life. And so he says, three times I prayed about this, that it would leave me. But he, that is God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So God says no to Paul's prayer. God, take this thorn in the flesh away from me. No. Why? Because God has other plans. God's will for Paul is different. God wants to teach Paul something about grace. And what does grace mean? And I know that that is very true in my life, that I have a better understanding of grace and what that means when I have a sin issue in my life, and even after I've given my heart to Christ, even after I'm, I'm, I'm saved, I'm born again, whatever title you want to put on it, and I fall into temptation, and I sin, and I say to God, why won't you take this away from me? And he says, because I want to teach you about grace. So when that person that is in your church family continues to sin over and over and over and over again, you learn how to extend grace because I've extended grace to you. And so Paul is learning something from God and it is God's will that prevails over Paul's in his prayer. God says no. So God answers yes, God answers no. And the third thing that I believe that God says when we pray is not right now. And there's a, a ton of examples in Scripture about that, just a couple to point them out. Moses, when he was in uh, Egypt, 
He lives in Egypt till he's about 40 years old. And during that time, he sees the oppression of the Jewish people. And it breaks his heart. He kind of, I would imagine, feels a little guilty because he's living a lie. He's living as an Egyptian, but he's actually a Jew. And he sees his own people, slaves, under the, the hand of Pharaoh, day in, day out, toiling, making bricks, making these huge buildings and monuments. And, and you can imagine him crying out, God, why don't you do something? Why don't you change this? So 40 years goes by, he lives in Egypt, and he can't take it anymore, so he sees an injustice, and he decides to take matters into his own hands. He kills an Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Pharaoh finds out about it. The law of Egypt at that time is if you kill someone, you will be killed. So Moses takes off. He flees to an area called Midian. And there he marries a woman, and he lives in Midian for another 40 years. During that time, not only is Moses crying out, but we read in the scriptures in, in Genesis, or in Exodus, I'm sorry, that the people of God are crying out to God under their toil, under their labor, in the baking sun, saying, God, save us. God, aren't we your chosen people? Free us from this bondage. So 80 years have gone by. And then Moses encounters this burning bush. And God in that place. And then God brings him back to Egypt to lead his people into the promised land. And even that, when he leads them into the promised land, the people quarrel and argue and gripe against God. And then they spend another 40 years in the wilderness. So that prayer to enter into the promised land, 120 years how many of you are praying a prayer that you're ready to wait 120 years for? Are you ready for that? No, we don't like that. How about Abram? Abram was 75 when God called him out of Haran. He waited another 10 years in Cana before the whole incident with Ishmael. When they Figured, well, it's not happening with Sarah, so God must have meant that we do this with Hagar and raise up a child through Hagar. And then God says after Ishmael is born, no, that wasn't my plan. And it's not for another 15 years after that. Abraham is 100 years old. It's been 25 years since he followed God faithfully, left his home country, and went to where God was telling him to do. 25 years later that he has this promise that God told him that I will make you a nation. 25 years. There was the prayer, and God said, not right now. 25 years, 100 years. See, we don't like that. We live in a culture, we are a very consumerist culture. We want things now. We want to go through the drive-thru, and if it takes longer than two minutes, man, we get ticked off. 
what is going on in McDonald's that it takes more than five minutes for me to get my burger and fries? Come on, people. This isn't that hard. I went uh, yesterday to help out one of our uh, family here at Artisan to move a, a mattress to, from Farmington here to Rochester. I had to take my dad's truck. My dad's truck does not have easy pass. I actually had to open my window, talk to the guy in the booth, hi, get my ticket, and go to the next booth and pay real money. I don't like that. I had to wait in line. I never wait in line. There's the easy pass. It's open. You drive right through. But we are a consumerist culture. We want things now. We want it fast. And so we apply that to our spiritual lives also when we pray. See, but I think prayer is a little more organic than that. I think prayer is very much like planting a garden. Are any of you gardeners? Do you like to plant? Many of you are in college, so you probably don't have the opportunity to do too much right now. Maybe at home you do. Um, some of you might have gardens at home. Now, the thing, we, we've also lost this whole idea of an agrarian society where we have to put something in the ground and wait for it to germinate and grow, and it takes time, and it will bear fruit, but you have to wait for it, and you have to tend to it and come back to it. But you see, I think in our lives... If we think of prayer very much like a, a plant, instead of waiting for it to bear fruit, instead of tending to it and caring for it, we want it like now, right? And so maybe there are some guys here that, you know, you're feeling stressed out from work. Maybe it's some tests that are coming up. You just got back to school. All of a sudden, you're hitting the books every day. You're studying. You're practicing. And man, the stress is just building. And instead of going to God and saying to God, I, I need help. I, I feel stressful. Can you, can you help me with my stress level? Instead of praying, maybe meditating on God's word, well, we go to our own thing. We do, we do an Abram, right? We say, okay, God, if you're not going to answer my prayer, well, you know, we'll just take care of that ourselves. We'll pour ourselves a little of this. We'll take our prayer life. Oh, so much better. Right? Maybe there's some of the ladies here that, are, that are, are graduating or graduated. Maybe you're still in school and you're thinking, you know what? I'm almost graduated. I haven't found the man yet. I don't have my MRS degree. Those of you at Roberts Wesleyan that's hitting a little close to home, I know. And so you're thinking, well, I got to do something about this. Maybe you go out there and you get some Botox injections. And so now you've got no kind of facial expression at all there. Maybe you go to the extreme and think, well, you know, I need to look like J-Lo. I need to look like some other actress that's got, you know, curves and stuff like that. So maybe I get some uh, implants or something like that to help out my, my, my physique or something like that. And so we take things into our own hands. Maybe we go out on a date and we hike up that skirt just a little bit too high. The implants and Botox fell off, I'm sorry. But isn't that the way that we do things? Isn't that the way we come at prayer? God, if you don't answer my prayer the instant that I pray it, 
I'm going to do it my way. Because that's the culture we live in. But see, biblically and spiritually, the way Christ taught us through his example and through the example of the saints throughout the Old and New Testaments, throughout the history of the church, is that it is not instantaneous. That prayer is something that needs to be cultivated. Prayer is something that can take time. Yes, you might get the yes answer. You might get the no answer, and if you don't like the no answer, you're going to go for what you want anyway. When I was first uh, kind of gave my heart to Christ, I was in a church uh, here in Rochester, and they were, there was a, a group that was looking for a missionary to go to the Czech Republic. And, you know, I was young, I was single, I was ready to go. God, I'm ready to go. So I applied, I was accepted by the, uh, the, the group that, that was hosting the, the missionaries over in the Czech Republic, ready to go, went to my home church, looking for them to bless and send me, and they said no. They gave me a bunch of reasons. I, I was too young in the faith. I, you know, I wasn't really established in their church. They didn't know if they could trust me or not. Looking back, I can look at it and say those were good reasons. Looking back, I can look at it and say, you know, God, I understand why you said no to that. But in the moment, I didn't like it. And I could have done what this represents here, I could have raised my own money and thumbed my nose at the, the church that I was coming from and said, I'm going anyway. But instead, I prayed and trusted that God had a plan and that that pl plan would bear fruit, and it did. Basically, about a year later, I did go over to the Czech Republic. During that time, I also met my wife. So there was, there was reasons why God said no. God's plan was different than my plan. God's will was better than my will. Are we ready? Are we able to trust that there is a plan, that God's will is alive and working in our lives, and that we just need to trust and be patient and understand that God answers prayer, yes, no, or not right now. I think that there are also some other things as we're thinking about prayer. One of the natural questions I think that we come up with is, is as we desire to pray, well, how do we do it? And there's two things that I would like to suggest that we do when we come to prayer. The first one is to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. In Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, I invite you to write this down, check this out this week. Read Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. It's a parable about a widow. Jesus tells this story about a widow that came to a judge. There was some injustice, injustice in her life, and she came before a judge and asked the judge to rule in her favor. And she didn't come once. She didn't come twice. But all the time, every day, came before this judge asking him to rule in her favor. And the judge finally said, enough, fine, I'll rule in your favor, just stop bugging me. And then Jesus goes on to say, well, if that's the way God, or if that's the way an unjust judge treats someone, 
how much more will your Father in heaven that loves and cares for you answer your prayer if you continue to go to him in prayer? So pray without ceasing. The second thing is to pray with confidence. I really love this verse. It's in Hebrews chapter 4. Write this down. It'll also be on the screen because I really want you to see this verse and internalize it. Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16 say this. It says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every way, every respect, has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Obviously, this is speaking of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Pray without ceasing and pray with confidence. Enter that throne room of grace. Jesus has made the way for us. He has opened the door. There is nothing separating us and God that we can't get through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Pray without ceasing. Pray with confidence. So are there things that might inhibit our prayers? I think so. I think the scripture shows that there are certain things that might keep us from praying effectively. Sometimes I've heard it referred to as our prayers hit the ceiling and come right back down again. There are three, three things I think that cause prayer to be blocked. One potentially is our own selfishness. That we're praying not in God's will, but in our own. 1 John 5 says that, in verse 14, that this is the boldness we have in Him, that is Christ, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So we need to do a little check of the Spirit. Are we asking according to God's will or our own? God, give me a million dollars. I just need a million dollars to buy a house and a car and, and have a a pool with the infinity side and, and you know, the, the latest and greatest 60-inch 1080p high-def screen. God, please. That's not praying God's will. Jesus, in fact, prayed God's will. And we'll get to that in just a moment where one of the most desperate prayers in all of Scripture, and he says, yet not your, my will but yours be done. Jesus understood that it's not about us, but about God, and seeking God and His will in our lives. The second thing that could be a prayer blocker, straight up, is sin. Are we separated from God? Is there something keeping us from Him? Isaiah 59, from the Old Testament, says this in verse 1 and 2, See, the Lord's hand is not too short to save, nor is His ear too dull to hear. Isaiah is kind of contrasting God with the the carved idols of the day. So imagine, you know, an, an idol, a statue of a God on the table here, and he's saying, God is not like this. God is not deaf. He doesn't have ears that don't work. He, he's not blind, not with real eyes. He sees. He knows your need. He goes on, rather, verse 2, your iniquities have been boundaries between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So are there things in our lives that need to be confessed and get right with God? And that's as easy as 1 John chapter 1 will tell you. It's as easy as confessing. If you confess your sins, 
God is faithful to forgive. There's no magic. There's no working it out. You don't have to spend time in purgatory. You don't have to spend time saying 10 Hail Marys and 10 Our Fathers. Jesus has already paid the price for you. All you need to do is go and say to God, you know what, I messed up. And I'm not, you might say, I'm not even sure how to get out of this situation. But I know I need forgiveness. And I know your word tells me that if I come to you and I ask for forgiveness, that you are faithful and you'll forgive me. So maybe sin's a blocker. Maybe selfishness is a blocker. And the third one, and this is really, I think, some of us, makes us a little uncomfortable to think about these kind of things. Some of us, this might be right in your wheelhouse and you say, yeah, I've experienced that and I know what that's like. It's found in the book of Daniel. Daniel is one of the Old Testament books. Daniel chapter 10, it's one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And Daniel, I also invite you to read right around Daniel chapter 10. So read Daniel chapter 9 because it, it gives a good example of how Daniel prays. And we'll get into how Daniel prays in just a minute to maybe guide us as we look at how we are to pray. But there is this spiritual warfare going on in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel has this burden on his heart. He wants to hear from God. And so what does he do? He goes to God. And at that time, I, Daniel, verse 2, had been mourning for three weeks. I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine had entered my mouth, and I had not anointed myself at all for the full three weeks. So we talked a few weeks ago about fasting and about a partial fast, and that's what Daniel is doing here. He has entered into a partial fast where he's just basically eating the, the bare necessities and he's not taking in like desserts or any rich foods or, or anything that might be considered pleasurable so that he can focus his attention on hearing from God. For three weeks, he doesn't hear anything. And then in verse 12, we pick it up and there's this angel of God that comes to him. And the angel says, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me 21 days. So there's some spiritual warfare going on here. There's this message that is supposed to be brought to Daniel that Daniel doesn't get because there's this war. And don't ask me. I don't know what this is all about. It's, it's these angelic beings. It's something that's happening in the spiritual realm. There's this angel messenger of God that's coming to Daniel. He encounters this prince of Persia. It's, in Scripture, it talks about how the, the nations and the kingdoms of the world are influenced by spiritual beings here it's the, this prince of Persia. And then it go, the, the angel goes on and talks about how it's the archangel uh, Michael that comes and does battle with this prince of Persia. And Michael is the only one that's powerful enough to hold off this, this evil spirit so that this other angel can come to Daniel and give him the message from God. So maybe there's some selfishness in your life that's making those prayers hit the ceiling and come right back down. Maybe there's some sin, or maybe there's some spiritual warfare going on. Maybe the thing that you're praying for, Satan and the evil of this world does not want to see happen. And so there's a spiritual battle in this realm that 
we really don't see and probably many of us really aren't that familiar with. So how do we pray? That question was asked of Jesus. And his response it can be found in Luke 2 and Matthew 6. We prayed it at the beginning. We signed it together. Jesus gives us the commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Jesus tells us to approach God as Daddy. The word in Greek is Abba, Father. That's actually Aramaic, but you don't care about that. So he says, come to him as you would come to your own father. Say, Daddy, you are holy. And he goes on and talks about this whole prayer. Maybe some of you are familiar with this. If you're not, I invite you to write it down. There is a way that I encourage you to come at prayer. I think it's reflected if you go back and you read Daniel chapter 9. So right before the, the d- chapter 10 that we just talked about. In Daniel chapter 9, it does a really good job of showing a picture of Daniel. I, I doubt he was actually using this acrostic to, to guide his prayer. But, but it shows how Daniel does these things in his prayer. Many of you probably heard this, but when you pray, a good way to think about how to pray is the acrostic or the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. And when you come at prayer, the very first thing that you need to do is come to God with adoration. Our Father, holy is your name. You are wonderful. You are creator of all. And I look out there at the beauty of creation, the, the wonder of all that you've made, and I am in awe. We adore. The second thing we do is we come and we confess. What's on our heart? What's on our mind? What have we done? What have we failed to do? What in our thoughts is not right? What maybe with our tongue have we let loose a little bit too much? And we need to be forgiven. And we confess. Then we move to thanksgiving. God, thank you that I know that when I confess that you are faithful to forgive, 1 John 1, 9. Thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ, who opens the doorway, who pays the price for me. I know that the wages of sin is death. Your word tells us that. And I thank you that Jesus died for me. Thank you, God. And the very last thing that we do when we pray is make our supplication or we bring our prayers, our needs to God. God, that I'm struggling in school. I'm having a really hard time being separated from my family. God, there's this guy or this girl that's just driving me absolutely nuts and I don't know what to do. God, my job, I hate it. can't stand it. What do you want me to do? So we make our supplication, we make our prayer. We adore, we confess, we give thanks, and we make our supplication, acts. That's how we pray. So as we are texting OMG, oh my God, let's make that into a prayer. And pray to our Father and understand that He hears prayer. And that he answers prayer. Yes, no, and not right now. As we turn our attention to responding to God's word, 
I think the greatest answered prayer in Scripture is found in Luke chapter 22. And we referred to this a little earlier. Jesus has had supper with his friends, his followers, and they've gone out, and he goes to the place where is his common practice to do this garden called Gethsemane. And he kneels down and he prays. He prays with such fervency, such desire, such passion that Scripture says he sweats blood. He knows what's coming up. And he says in verse 41 that Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw from his friends, from his disciples, from the ones that he trusted, the ones that he loved, the ones that he'd been walking with for three years. The ones that he had just asked to pray with him. He goes about a stone's throw away from them. He kneels down and he prays. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What is Jesus' prayer? I don't want to do this. And then he goes on and says, Yet not my will, but yours be done. So in a way, God answers both yes and no to Jesus. No, I'm not going to take this cup away from you. Yes, I am going to see that my will happens and not yours. See, because God's will is that through the sacrifice of Christ, we could have relationship with God. And that's what we celebrate at table over here. This is similar elements to what Jesus would have been sharing with his disciples that same night. There's, there's bread on the table which would have been a common everyday meal that they would have shared with each other. And he says taking the bread and, and, and breaking it and sharing it with his friends, with his followers, with, with the children and women and men that are all around the table with him, he says, take this and eat it. This bread that you will see every day when you come together at meal with each other, this bread is a reminder of my body. It's... to remind you that my body will be broken for you. After dinner, he took a cup and he blessed it and he gave it, shared it with all his friends and he said, take and drink. And when you do this, when you drink this drink that you will be sharing at every meal with each other, remember that it represents the blood that will be shed for you, my blood. See, Scripture says that the wages of sin is death, that there, there has to be some kind of blood sacrifice. It goes all the way back to Genesis with Adam and Eve and God making skins. There was that sacrifice that reestablished the, the relationship with God. But it wasn't perfect. 
and it had to continue to be redone and redone and redone, and there you get the whole Jewish sacrificial system. But Jesus was the perfect lamb, sacrificed, broken body, poured out blood. This new covenant, this new agreement that says, you can have relationship with me by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to open up table and invite you to come to table, take a piece of the bread, dip it in either the wine or the juice, and remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Remember that it's because of Christ's sacrifice, because of the prayer that was answered no and yes, that we can have relationship with God, we can be forgiven, we can be set free, we can know that our prayers are heard. So we invite you to come to table. If Jesus were here today and said, eat with me, share this meal with me, and your response would be yes, we invite you to table. If you'd like to take some time to pray, there's a couple chairs over here. I'll be sitting over there, and we invite you to come on over. Maybe there's something that you need to pray about in your life. Maybe there's some things that you need to get off your chest and just go before God. We invite you to come on over. Maybe there's some things that are going on that are great in your life, and you just want to praise and thank God for it. We'd love to hear about that, and I'd love to pray with you. So come on over here. Or we invite you just to take this time, sit at your chair, meditate on God's Word, Respond to God's word as, as uh, you feel led. So you don't need to rush the table. You don't need to make a line or anything like that. Just come up when you're ready.